Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning to, and welcome to Solid Rock and evidently winter. I don't know how that happened quite so fast. Hey, I do want to make a quick, add one more announcement I didn't tell anybody I was going to do. Today is the fifth Sunday of October, which means it is still Pastor Appreciation Month. If you would like to write a note to our pastors, pastoral team, uh, to uh, Matt and Annette and to Austin and to Kevin, uh, I believe, and I didn't check, but I imagine that there's still an opportunity to give on the website if you go to the giving. I know there was a Pastor Appreciation Um, little tab if you want to still give um, or give them a high five, a handshake, a hug, let them know you appreciate them uh, for their beautiful work uh, with us here in our community. So, um, and welcome back to Matt and Annette. I know we got a chance to pray for you. I was grateful, grateful you guys got that time. Um, If the passages that we read today look familiar, uh, earlier this morning at, uh, at the beginning of worship, I think Ashley read Psalm chapter 1, and then uh, Nathan just read Matthew 22. If they look familiar, um, they were passages that Matt touched on about two weeks ago uh, when he was wrapping up the Philippians series and spoke two weeks ago a message, I think he called that, What's on Your Mind? And Matt said that day, uh, what we fill our minds with impacts the direction, the aim of our lives. And I think we've all seen that um, in our, you know, what, what we dwell on. I, I heard one person say we become like what we behold. And so what we think about, we tend to become like. Um, and, and Matt went ahead and said uh, that day, this is why the, the value of Philippians 4.8 that says whatever is true and whatever is noble whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, to think about such things because that that matters for our minds and it matters for the direction of our our lives. And when I read in, when Matt had asked me to to speak on this day, and when I read in the the passages for the lectionary, there were these two passages that we read this morning that are familiar. And I got to be honest with you, for a moment I was like, Oh man, this is so familiar. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but if sometimes I hear something, if I hear it, uh, one of the passages that's most, most familiar, it could be easy to kind of tune out. 
Is that okay? I see a few people willing to nod with their assent or at least their confession. Um, I felt kind of bad because I, I don't want to disrespect the word of God, but I thought, you know, this is, you know, we, this is familiar. Love the Lord your God. We know that. Okay. And, and I wondered if it did become or could become so familiar that we just kind of, we're like, we hear it. Yeah, we know that. But it reminded me of a story I read about a pastor in Brazil. He wrote in his book, he said he was getting ready to speak and it was he was going to speak uh, on the passage about loving one another and this was something that every couple years I think he said he would go and he would preach this passage and um, so he you know he put the message together and you know some of it he had had from a couple years before but he kind of polished it up and added some new things and then he got ready that day and he got and he started to walk up to the platform and something just didn't feel quite right to him he's like man they, this is so familiar we, they've heard this and I don't know if it was a nudge from the Lord or just an idea that he had for himself, but he got up and he stood and looked at his congregation and said, my message for today is love one another. And then he stepped off the platform and sat down. And the congregation was kind of surprised, you know, did pastor, did he forget his notes? I mean, what's, what's going on? And he sat down and he just sat there. And people, it was just that awkward silence that I'm sure if I sat down right now, you would all feel, you know. And um, they just kind of, you know, people are thinking, what's going on? And after a few awkward minutes, pastor got back up and he stood up and he said, and you know, at that point, the relief is in the room. Okay, he's back up there. He stood up and said, my message for today is love one another. And then he sat down. And at this point, you know, I imagine husbands and wives or friends are just kind of nudging each other. What's up with pastor today? This is kind of weird. And he sat there uncomfortably for a few more minutes. And then he got back up and looked at his congregation and said, my message for today is love one another. And then he sat down again. And at this point, the people think the pastor lost it. You know, they think pastor has lost his mind. Pastor needs a break, you know. Pastor's sitting awkwardly in the chair, just sitting there while we're, you know. And after a few minutes, uh, a gentleman said, I think I get it. I think I get it. And he stood up and he went over to someone he didn't know and said, I don't know you yet. My name's Bob. And this is my family. This is my wife. These are my kids. And little by little, people started to recognize around the congregation. And they would say, you know what? I don't know you yet. And they would start meeting and greeting each other. And before you knew it, there were people saying, you know what, you need that? Well, we've got something. We can help you with that. You need, well, we, we can provide that need. And the pastor sat there while the congregation began to love one another. So the familiarity of something turned into something just familiar. Because I've, I've just, from familiar into something more. Because I have to wonder if the pastor, somewhere in that process, as he was standing up there the first time, I wonder if he was asking, how do we embody the scriptures? How do we live them out and walk them out? He might have been saying, you know, there's got to be more than what we experience. There's got to be more than every couple years I get up and tell everybody to love one another and we go on with our way or whatever. They've heard me preach on loving one another so many times, but how do we embody love? How do we embody loving God with our heart, soul, and mind? And how do we embody loving our neighbor? And I think this is the question perhaps for us today, is how do the scriptures become our lived experience so that we are not hearers of the word? And I don't presume that we, we don't ever embody it, but I, this is just a challenge for me as I've been sitting with this this week, because I know James cautioned us in his, in his epistle. He said, do not be merely hearers, be doers, lest you be deceived. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever had a blunt truth teller in your life. I have, I have family members like that. They're very blunt truth tellers. I remember asking a family member when I was little if I could sing, and she said no. And, you know, 
<laughs> that was my mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> I mean, you know, like moms are supposed to like not lie, but you know, encourage you. Mom, can I sing? No, <laughs> my singing days were over. You know, and so James kind of reminds me of that in that way. He's a, he's a bit of a blunt truth teller, but he's not wrong. There is implication in my own spiritual life if I hear and do not do. I think another side of the, uh, if this question is a prism, I think another side of this prism is, how do the scriptures become our lived experience so that others may experience Christ? Because if I embody loving my neighbor, then I have one more neighbor who is loved. I have one more neighbor who is loved. And so perhaps familiarity can be a challenge in our spiritual life. I mean, just like in our relationships in general, I don't know if you've ever felt like, you know, a familiarity in a relationship causes you maybe to take somebody for granted. But could familiarity actually help grow our souls? Every week, friends, we declare the last thing we declare in these services. We say these words together. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And it, I was, I don't know, I think I was struck this week with the simplicity, yet the meaningfulness of this declaration. And it struck me in a way that was unlike any other time, we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. It doesn't say that I go in peace. We collectively embody this reality here. So here we are talking about embodying. And um, in this passage, the Matthew 22, in the Matthew 22 passage, these um, Pharisees, the religious leaders, are testing Jesus by asking what's the greatest commandment, and Jesus draws them back to where this is found in the Old Testament, into something that was very familiar to them, and he takes them back to Deuteron what we know is Deuteronomy 6, and he says, he quotes this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, this would have been a familiar passage to the Pharisees and, quite frankly, everybody else. It was what, and I think I'm saying this correctly, it was what they knew as the Shema. And it was, it was a declaration that the, the Jewish people would recite twice a day. And it was like their creed. It was like their, this is who we are, this is what we believe, this is who our God is. And they would repeat it twice a day, which kind of reminds me of the passage when Matt was talking a couple weeks ago, and we even read this morning, about meditating on the law of the Lord. It was just something that they would return to day by day. They would meditate on it. They would utter it. They would declare it. They would let, they would let it become part of who they were. So this was a familiar thing to them, but Jesus goes on to say, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, I don't know if the writer there literally meant to bind them on your foreheads, but some people did. You know, they would put them on their hands, they would put the scriptures and something on their foreheads, and it was like they were trying to say, we're going to embody this message, quite literally. They, they literally wore it on their body, and, and we know that that does not guarantee faithfulness, right? Because the religious leaders that Jesus a lot of times would rebuke or correct, they embodied the message, quite frankly, better than I do, probably today, but there was no heart behind it. So they, they did it maybe so that their acts would be seen, so they would be revered, but it's not necessarily what Jesus was looking for. They embodied it, but didn't have the heart behind it as well. Now, um, last year, 2022 was a, a, a 
particularly challenging year uh, in my world. There was, um, it just challenging, we had a diagnosis for my stepdad that was terminal and um, last year was just a really hard year. Um, my stepdad's death, uh, we thought he would have a couple years after his diagnosis. He lived 99 days. Uh, very quickly, I have at that point a 75-year-old widowed mom um, who needed some extra care, um, just very practical things as well as emotionally. Um, a couple months later, I had a really unexpected, un really unexpected death of my sweet pup, uh, who is my, my little companion. Um, it was just one thing after the other after the other. It was just one of those years, I don't know if you've ever been in them, that it just seemed like the waves kept hitting. But as the waves kept hitting, I kept feeling like I was being carried by the people of God. As the waves kept hitting, I kept feeling like I was buoyed by the love and the care and the prayers of people, a lot of whom were in this room. My small group was amazing to me. My small group loved me, and they cared for me, and they fed me, and they said, you know, you've got a road trip, here's some snacks, because you need snacks, and this, and they checked on me. My dear friend took time off work to drive up with me so I didn't have to drive to be alone on the road in the midst of this. I mean, just one after the other. Other people, I mean, people sent food from around the country. They sent gifts and all these things. And, and they embodied this command, really, of God to carry one another's burdens so beautifully that it made Jesus look good. So beautifully that I felt like I wasn't alone in the hardest year of my life. I kept saying, I've got to get out of 2022, you know. But I knew in some ways I didn't have to because I knew I was, I was covered, I was protected, I was cared for. One of the things that happened also, uh, and I, I had mentioned a little bit of this story previously, um, our neighbor last year as well, our sweet neighbor, Mr. Graham, passed away. Uh, he was 86 when he died, sweet gentleman, very odd, reclusive. He didn't, over 20 years, he wouldn't let any neighbor in his house. He had previously been in the CIA. He was pretty suspicious about everything. And um, right around midway through, I think it was May, we got word that, um, well, let me back up. One of the concerns I had had about Mr. Graham living by himself um, at 86 is I kept thinking if he's ever in his home alone and he doesn't let anyone in, if something happens, no one's going to know. And I was really concerned because he was single, had, had never been married, had no children, was really reclusive, so he didn't have a lot of friends. And I remember thinking, man, if he's in there by himself, if something happens, we wouldn't know. And sure enough, one day, probably late April, early May of last year, uh, the neighbors started saying, hey, has anybody seen Graham? Haven't seen him in a little bit. Now, the thing is, when we checked on him too much, he got real edgy. He didn't like that. He felt, you know, again, super reclusive. But at one point, after a few days of not seeing him, the neighbors, you know, again, we're checking in on each other to see if you have you seen him. One of the neighbors just said, that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm calling the fire department because it's just been too long. She calls the fire department. They break into his house. Sure enough, Mr. Graham is on the ground, had been there for a couple days. It was extremely sad. And I had, it was just, it was literally what I had been concerned about as his neighbor. My roommate and I lived directly across the street from him so we could just see if he's coming in and out and, and everything. He was so sweet. He was the, he was the guy when we'd drive down the, the street before, you know, before all this happened. And he would, he would always do this, like touchdown Jesus or something. In, uh, in her day. And he would always welcome us when we were driving home like that. But we, we it called the fire department and they took him to the hospital and, and he was pretty sick. And so the hospital said, you know, it's just really a matter of time. And, and so our sweet neighbors, 
on our street who were mostly retired, um, they took shifts to make sure Mr. Graham was not alone. And he lived longer, he was stubborn. He lived, they thought he'd be gone within a couple days, but he lived about two weeks. Our sweet neighbors literally camped out overnight. They just took turns to make sure that Mr. Graham would not die alone. When he died, he was not alone because two of the, the seniors on our street were spending the night in his hospital room, just making sure that he was, he was, that somebody was with him. It was one of the most godly things I've ever seen in my life. And it reminded me of the passage that God sets the lonely in families. Our sweet little street gathered together and, and walked with him as they wheeled him his body away. And I just looked around and I was like, I remember being really worried, really worried about being, his being alone, but I forgot that God calls his people to do what they do. It was just the sweetest, sweetest thing. Our little street, our neighbors embodied the nearness of God in a way that was just, just precious. There's a passage for me that uh, when I think about the familiarity, tying the familiar with embodying our faith, there's a passage for me that often will come alive. And it's just been a, a life North Star verse for me. I, I may have shared this here before, so forgive me if this seems familiar, which just seems to be the theme. Um, but it, the, the scriptures tell us in Psalm chapter 14, verse um, I think I said one, but I think it's two. Forgive me about that. It says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. And I remember reading this passage years ago, just kind of just regular devotions going by, and it was one of those passages that just struck me. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, man, if God's looking for someone who will seek him, I want God to find me seeking him. You know, if, if that's important to God, you know, if, if uh, not because, uh, I don't know, just because God is worthy, God is worth it. If, if, if he wants someone who will seek him, I want him to find me seeking him. And, and I remember thinking at the time, like, how do I know, how do you qualify or quantify seeking God, you know? How do you qualify or quantify, you know, loving God with all your heart? Am I loving God enough right now, you know? And, and that may not be a, a question you've ever asked, but I, you know, just kind of my wiring and maybe my neuroses, I'm not sure. I'm like, am I loving God enough right now? You know, am I loving him with all my heart? How do I know I'm seeking him? But this little word uh, to seek it just has such a, a vast, such a rich meaning to it. Uh, it that, that word there is, is written several times, I think over uh, scores and scores of time in the Old Testament. And it's also reflected in passages like, those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Blessed are those who keep his statues and seek him with all their heart. But when I was studying this passage, I thought, I, I really want to know what that means. Like, how do I live that out? How do I embody that passage? And I learned that the root of that just was so rich. Um, the word there, to seek, um, if you take it down to its root, it means to frequent or to tread. And again, forgive me if I've, if I've shared this with some of you before, but to frequent or to tread, I started to think about the places I frequent. Now, I'm, I'm going to do something maybe unusual. Can I ask you, what are some places you frequent? What summer you frequent? Matt, where do you frequent? Put you on the spot here. What's, what's a place you frequent? What, what's that? <laughs> Oh, there we go. Excellent, excellent. That's why I like you. Chipotle, excellent. Now, now I know that. 
I didn't plan this, but that would be an excellent pastor appreciation day. So I <laughs> literally did not plan that. It all comes together. All right, <clears throat> someone else, some place that, that you frequent. <clears throat> Taco Bell. <laughs> there is a Mexican theme here, which is important, which you'll see in a minute. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, Chipotle, uh, Taco Bell. Um, if, if you know me very long, and my <clears throat> small group does, um, I love Mexican food. Like, love it. Like, love it so much, I think I'm Mexican. I mean, I love it. I think if you cut me open, I would bleed salsa. I love it so much. So my entire life, my family always had a Mexican restaurant that we would frequent. I mean, from as, I mean, my earliest memories, I can remember the places. Um, evidently, I, <laughs> I didn't plan to Evidently, when I was one and a half, I grabbed my mom's beer and started chugging it. And <laughs> Lord help me, it just started early, you know? And um, <laughs> it just, but and then my mom took it and gave me a chip. And then I, I, I literally, I choked on the chip, evidently. And my mom, they kind of froze. And so the guy behind me got up, turned me upside down, got the chip out. And that's how the story goes. Anyway, I, that was not, that's not in my notes. But. <laughs> We, we always had a Mexican restaurant that we would go to my entire life, so much that they would know us coming in. And the first time I lived here in Springfield, there was a place, it's not there now, but there's another Mexican place at the corner of Sunshine and Glenstone. It used to be this place called Acambado, and I can't remember what it is now, but we would go there all the time, partially because we were also really, really, really poor, and you could get two steak tacos and an iced tea for $4.02. And I'm like, you just can't go wrong with that. You know, all the chips and salsa you want. And I would go there so so often I'd walk in and the, the guy, I still remember the face of the guy, I can't remember his name, he's, hola, Stephanie, como estas? I'd be like, I'm fine, how are you? I went there so often the host tried to set me up with his cousin. True story. <laughs> true story, true story. He said to me one day, you like Latino man? <laughs> I was like, I did, he did, he did. I was like, does he have his own salsa? I mean, you know, and um, <laughs> So I would go there all the time. I liked the really hot salsa, and they didn't normally put it out there. So when I would come in, the one lady who bust the tables would see me, and she'd go, oh, and she'd run out into the kitchen and come out with the stuff that's got, like, the smoke coming off the top and everything. But I remember one day sitting down, and the, the waitress came over, and she went to put a menu down, and then she saw who it was. She pulled it away and said, you don't need one of these, because they knew I ordered the same thing every time, two steak tacos and iced tea and all the chips and salsa and, and the hot sauce. Like, and I mean, she literally, she's like, you don't need a menu. And, and the thing that I realized is, like, you know, when I would leave, they'd say, see you tomorrow, and then they would. And, and then it was just because I frequented this place so much. And to seek means to frequent. And, and here's the thing. When I would frequent that place, because I frequented that place, they knew me by name, and they knew what was on my heart before I ever even asked. And I just know that as we frequent the heart of the Father... So we keep going time and time again to the heart of the Father, bringing our requests to him, um, asking, bringing our inquiry, bringing our petition to him. I just know he knows us by name, and he knows the request of our hearts before we even ask. That is one word that mean, is meant by to seek, to frequent. I think that ties in with what Matt was talking about, with what we think about with our minds. Where do we, what do we frequent with our minds? What are the things we find ourselves going to? What are maybe even the ruts that we, or, or, or can we learn to frequent Philippians 4.8? Can we learn in our minds to frequent that which is true and noble and lovely and admirable? Can we frequent those things as we frequent the Father's heart? 
The second word that uh, to seek means is the word to tread, like to tread a path. And I learned this in a really practical way after I graduated from college. I went back and lived in a, I was like a hall director in a, uh, in a residence hall. And um, I was a pretty new Christian, so I didn't, I, I just didn't know a ton. I just knew that God had done something beautiful in my life in my senior year of college, and I wanted other students to know how good he is. And so I'm living in this residence hall, and I was praying with a friend, and she said, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you that the Lord wants you to go into the basement of your building and pray for your students. And I was very young and immature, and all I knew to do was whatever God said. You know, it wasn't until I became very mature in my faith that I ever argued with the Lord, you know what I'm saying? I, I just was like, well, God wants me to go pray in the basement. So I would tread a path down into the basement of, of our little residence hall. And my vocabulary and prayer was really unformed. And so I didn't know how to pray deep, eloquent prayers for the salvation of the souls. And all. I just said, God, from this basement, like, move up and touch people on your way up. <laughs> so that's how I prayed for my students. And I just would tread a path night after night, tre literally tread a path down into the basement to pray for my students. About midway through the year, I, um, I felt like the Lord nudged me just to start walking the halls, and so I would just tread a path, just walk the halls at night, just kind of non-weirdly praying over my students. I had asked the Lord for a tithe that year of my building. I said, God, there are 70 students here, uh, and I knew, from, I knew them and, and also from what they had written in their info cards that there was one young woman who had had uh, faith in Jesus, but she, I think she would say I, she didn't have life in Jesus, but she had faith in Jesus, you know what I'm saying? And, and 69 students who didn't have any profession of faith, and I just knew God loved them and wanted to do something in their lives. So every night I would just tread a path, walk down first floor, walk up to the second floor, third floor, and just pray, just tread a path uh, to God's heart on behalf of the students uh, who needed to know the way, just day by day treading a path. It was just something that allowed me to capture the heart of God. I would pray things for them that I wouldn't know myself. You know, he would just put things on my heart to pray for them, and just night after night. I remember it was the first semester, and I won't go into all the story, um, first semester of that year, a young woman who was from Hawaii gave her life to Christ. She was a very, very popular young woman in our hall. She was a competitive hula dancer, <laughs> which was awesome, and was on the row team and everything. She gave her life to the Lord, and then over the course of the year, God did something so beautiful that the last weekend of school, she called me at one in the morning telling me she had just led a young woman to the Lord who was the seventh person that year to come to faith. Um, the, the tithe I asked God for, he, you know, he just did it. Seven students said yes to Jesus that year. And then the next year, more and more students from that hall just kept saying yes. And still today, I mean, they, I, I see them now and talk to some of them, and they just, they just love the Lord. They just love the Lord. They just are faithful to God. One of the, the young women, the, the seventh person that year, is a pharmacist now, and she takes time off. Uh, she takes leave from her work to take medical supplies around the world in Jesus' name. And, I mean, it's just something that God did so beautifully in this little hall. But it came, for me, it was part of my learning what it meant to embody the scriptures. As I sought after God, as I talked to Jesus about what he wanted to do in our hall, what do we frequent in our hearts and minds? How can, we, how can we tread this path? We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We tread out into our community today to love and serve the Lord. And Becca, we're going to, yeah, thanks. We may not realize it, friends, but we embody this idea of seeking him every week. 
Every week, by the invitation of God, we frequent the table. Every week, we have an invitation, and we frequent the table of the Father. Every week, I I love this. I tell people, um, I tell my friends who go to other churches in town, I, I say, one of the things I love about our community here at Solid Rock, I said, there's just something so profound Um, that I've just never known before until I came here and what it means to be at the table every week. And I I said, I love it when I see people from our community walking up in line and I know things about them and I know know that person has been dealing with grief or that person is wrestling through that or that person's celebrating that and there's something so profound about knowing that about each other and celebrating that or carrying each other's burdens even as we share in the table together. When I know that person's had a loss that, and I see that person walk up and receive, receive the cup and, um, and the bread, I just think, Jesus, meet them there. That person treads to your table by invitation. Meet them there today. Let them encounter you there today. Every week, we tread a path by invitation to frequent the table where he calls us by name and knows what's on our hearts before we ever take the first step. That is our God. Every week, we commit to treading a path into our world to love and serve. And I think in this, we are made like him. Jesus embodied the Father's love by treading on a path to the cross, and we embody the Father's love as we tread our paths as well. So... We're going to tread a path to the table where we frequent, where we have a, an open invitation. And what we're going to do today is we're going to make two lines here in the two center aisles. And there will be somebody at the table uh, offering the blessing as you receive the, the cup and the bread. And then you can go back to your seats and receive uh, communion on your own. But I, I would ask you to do something today. As you are treading a path to the table... Uh, Would you just ask the Lord, God, is there some way that you want me to embody uh, your love this week in a way that maybe I just wasn't thinking of? Just making yourself open and available. And if he he nudges you in something great, and if he doesn't, then he knows you're open for the week, (laughs) you know? God, is there some way I can embody loving my neighbor today? God, is there some way I can embody loving you today? Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray, and as as I pray, please... Uh, go ahead and stand, and then when I'm done praying, someone will be at the table, and um, we can receive together. God, it is good to be yours. It's good to belong to you. And it's good to belong to a community of faith where we endeavor to embody uh, your love, your word, your life. And Lord, we pray that today as we frequent the table and and in the best way, in the most beautifully familiar way, as we frequent your table by invitation, I pray that you would whisper things to us that were on your heart um, because you already know what's on our hearts. Lord, for the ones who feel maybe a little lost, a little alone today, God, call them by name. God, for the ones who feel like they're carrying something, Lord, help us to know how to best carry that with them. And I pray that as we do that, Lord Jesus, it would just simply put a smile on your face. Um, And we thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.